Siddons enjoyed an almost flawless career from that point on and was among the least controversial celebrities I've encountered, with her only scandals being muffled grumbling about her tight-fisted miserliness and allegations of an affair with her married fencing teacher. Other celebs, however, built their name as provocateurs. Implicating oneself in sex scandals has always been an effective but risky strategy for getting noticed. The public love to be scandalised, but we're also hypocrites who will shun those whose naughty adventures we've so enjoyed gossiping over. Between 1700 and the 1830s, there were numerous high-class courtesans who published accounts of their sexual encounters with the great and good in so-called whore biographies. But these brazen confessors often struggled with the moral backlash. Unfurling one's dirty bedsheets was a quick but uncomfortable path to celebrity, and not one offering reassuring longevity. Perhaps the most famous was Harriet Wilson, the demi-rep lover of so many elite knobs, including the hero of Waterloo, the Duke of Wellington. She was angered that her former conquests hadn't provided long-term financial security for her, and also that unscrupulous publishers were issuing fake memoirs using her name. So she published a scandalous memoir in 1825 through a pornography publisher. Because it was essentially a money-making scheme, she first had him contact her aristocratic exes with blackmailing letters, demanding £200 from each not to be included in the book. Some coughed up. Wellington famously refused, responding, Publish and be damned! Wilson and her publisher allegedly raked in a fortune of £10,000 from their cynical plan. The episodic releases were a huge hit. They issued 31 editions in the first year alone, and so-called Wilson mania struck the bookshops, with people battling to buy copies. But they were then hit with libel lawsuits and all sorts of other trouble, including rebuttal memoirs by former friends who attacked Wilson's versions of events. In the end, she tried to launch a writing career from the publicity, looking to go legit as a creative artist, but it just didn't really take off. As was common with so many beauties who aged out of their public allure, Harriet Wilson died in obscure poverty in 1845, just shy of her 60th birthday. Lord Byron's bedroom adventures were of enormous fascination to his fans, who interpreted his poetry as a coded erotic autobiography, which in fairness it totally was. His fame was inseparably intertwined with his scandalous sexuality, and it led to his ditching England for a life in European exile. Yet he'd already weathered howls of outrage because he was a writer of dazzling skill, but he was also male and a titled lord to boot. Yes, he'd had to work for his money due to his father's ruinous debts, and indeed he'd endured a deeply traumatic childhood. But an adult Byron enjoyed male noble privilege. Women, however, were not granted such leeway, and the inevitable moralising, or what we might now call slut-shaming, was always much more of an obstacle, as discovered by the famous beauties Mary Wells and Emma Hamilton, who fell from grace when their wealthy lovers dumped them or died. But this is why Mae West is particularly intriguing. In the mid-1930s, until Hollywood's moral censors dragged her down, West was the queen of comic innuendo, having made her hugely successful screen debut in the film She'd Done Him Wrong. Yet this new screen star had been no fresh ingenue plucked straight off the train platform. She was pushing 40 when American cinema-goers first clapped eyes on her playful winks and radioactive blonde hair. 
Indeed, she'd barely scraped a film deal in the first place. Such was her provocative reputation. The movie studio's internal censors were yanking their hair out at the news, terrified that they'd be ruined by her controversial brand. They had reason to be nervous, too. Raised as a working-class tough girl in Brooklyn, Mae West had probably been sexualized at just 13. Her first boyfriend, Joe, was 19, and this would have been statutory rape under New York law. She was a vaudeville performer by the age of 14, married at 17, and separated at 18. She dragged herself up on the seedier side of the theatrical scene. Rejected by the increasingly wholesome vaudeville circuit, she'd paid her dues in vulgar, sleazy burlesque theatre. After two decades performing, she was 32 years old and going nowhere. So, in 1926, she booked a theatre, hired a director and mounted her own play, in which she would play a Montreal sex worker. The play was called Sex, although it may as well have been called Sex, with the triple X on the end. The public response was huge, and so was the outrage. The Daily Mirror, one of New York's less subtle tabloids, printed this delightfully unsubtle, all-caps headline, Sex, an offensive play, monstrosity plucked from garbage can, destined to sewer which was followed by a review describing it as a disgusting social contaminant. This production is not for the police. It comes rather in the province of our health department. It is a sore spot in the midst of our fair city that needs disinfecting. Even serious critics lost all sense of perspective, damning sex as a repellent, dangerous assault on public decency. It wasn't simply that the play was about sexuality. As West biographer Mary Beth Hamilton noted, other plays had been permitted to tackle this taboo. But it was Mae West's lewd burlesque persona, fused to working-class themes, that upset their sensibilities. It seems at this stage, in 1926, she hadn't yet developed her ironic comic style. Instead, the horrified critics saw comic realism, a bawdy authenticity that threatened public decency. Some horrified critics even suggested that she was sexually aroused by the brothel scenes. To them, it was a live sex show, starring a low-class, tough broad straight off the sidewalks. The law agreed. West served eight days in prison for the crime of public indecency. Audiences, of course, loved to be titillated and flocked to see it for themselves. Whereas others were destroyed by scandal, sensation was Mae West's springboard to fame. Sex wouldn't be her biggest hit, but it was proof of concept. As she later cheekily punned, I climbed the ladder of success wrong by wrong. Mae West had played a dangerous game, but she was bursting with natural talent and showcased a brand of risque sauciness that seemed to tickle taboos rather than smash them. She was a provocateur, but one who carried the public with her in support, which was no small feat. And while it's tempting to declare West as leading the vanguard of shocking celebrity culture, a harbinger of bold new attitudes towards women and sexuality, we might also recall an earlier example of the funny, sexy, ballsy, working-class gal who threatened the establishment while amusing the public. West was perhaps following in the footsteps of Nell Gwynne, the 17th-century actress-turned-mistress to King Charles II, who we will meet in a later chapter. If true, it made Mae West not so much a 20th century pioneer as an echo of celebrities' very earliest days. <laughs> 